It's a pleasure to introduce today's JNNP podcast. Uh, My name is Alan Carson. I'm a neuropsychiatrist uh, based in Edinburgh, but also one of the associate editors of the JNNP. I'm delighted to have with me today Professor Tom McMillan, who's Professor of Neuropsychology at the University of Glasgow. Tom has been engaged in a program of research on head injury over many years now, and we're pleased in the JNNP to have been publishing a number of uh, papers reporting on the outcomes, the very long-term outcomes, from a unique cohort that he established in Glasgow, along with uh, Professor Graham Teasdale. And this month we've published on a study looking at mortality in mild brain injury. Tom, can I ask you just to describe your study and the findings a bit more to the listeners? Uh, Yes, as the listeners will probably know, more than 90% of admissions to hospital with head injury are are mild head injuries. And um, we don't know very much about late survival outcome. We were able to carry out a, a study, which was a prospective study, looking at all admissions to Glasgow over the period of a year, and this study took place in 1995, and it was uh, really conceived by um, Sir Graham Teasdale. So the paper in JNNP this month is looking at 15-year survival outcome of this cohort, and the cohort um, included 2,500 mild head injuries. These are people who were classified as mild when admitted to hospital, And it represents, as far as we can determine, the entire population of admissions over that period of a year, which is what makes it um, an interesting cohort to follow up. So what what we did basically was we were able to record link these individuals to Scottish medical records and to the records in Scotland with regard to deaths. And we also created two control groups because clearly other factors such as age and um, gender and social deprivation may be important influences in survival outcome. So we created two control groups on a case-by-case basis, so that we ended up with three groups of approximately 2,500 people, and the control groups matched by age, gender, and social deprivation. So that's the basic outline of the study. So what we found was that the mortality rate was higher in the people who were admitted with a mild head injury than in either control group. So we had a control group, which was basically a community control group, closely matched uh, for social deprivation, age and gender, and 13% of these had died over this time period. Uh, We had a second control group, who'd been admitted to hospital with an an injury not involving their head at the same time as the people with mild head injury. And we found that 19% of them had died over uh, over the period. But in the mild head injury group, um, 37% of of that group had died. Uh, So significantly more had died in that group over the 15-year period. And what we found is that there was some information we had only on in the mild head injury group, and we found that the deaths were linked in part to people having had um, uh, a history of having had a head injury before, and in part 
linked to having uh, physical disability before being admitted with a mild head injury. But this didn't explain the picture entirely. We also found that it was the younger people's mild head injury that were at greatest risk of death. So uh, they were four times more likely to die than in the community controls uh, if they were aged less than 55 at the time of their injury. These are the, uh, the basic findings. And we did go on to link the data further to the Scottish medical records to tell us a bit about admissions to hospital with other diagnoses in the three groups for 15 years before having had the index event, which would be the mild head injury or the other injury, and for 15 years afterwards. And we found that those who'd been admitted with an injury to hospital had higher rates of diagnoses of systemic conditions, such as uh, problems, cardiovascular problems or uh, renal problems and so on, uh, than did the community control group. So they seem to be a less healthy group, both before and after the head injury. So I think that would kind of basically summarize the, the findings of the study. And I may have missed it in what you're saying, but what, what were the actual sort of causes of death? What were these young people actually dying of? Well, the, the causes of death were the same main causes that uh, people tend to die of in Scotland and, in fact, in, in Western countries. So circulatory problems, respiratory problems, digestive problems, external causes such as um, accidents, assaults, uh, mental behavioral problems, such as linking to drug abuse and so on. So they died of the, the same main causes as everyone else in Scotland dies of, except at higher rates. The only one where the rate wasn't higher was cancer-related causes, which wasn't at a higher rate in the mild head injury group. And obviously, results such as this will potentially cause a, a lot of concern with mild head injury being so common. Most of us might expect to have a mild head injury at some point in our lives even. Do you think that there is a sort of biologically plausible connection between the head injury and this early death, or are we looking, as is so commonly the case in observational epidemiology, at some source of bias, i.e. something about behaviour that leads to this group being more likely to have a mild head injury in the first place, and really we, we could view mild head injury as a sort of behavioural marker of poor health. That was one of the reasons that we introduced the other injury control group, you know, so people who are more likely to have uh, an injury but not an injury involving their, their head. And certainly they were at, at greater risk of dying than the community control group, but, but not as, uh, as great a risk as the mild head injury group. It, it's difficult with this data really to uh, delve too deeply into coming to a, a, a conclusion, really. But certainly lifestyle factors uh, do seem to be important and general health does seem to be important in this group. There's still a bit of a question over whether the enhanced death rate can be explained entirely in that way in the mild head injury group, or whether there is a chronic biological factor that might be relevant, at least for some people, and potentially for some people who've maybe had repeated head injuries over the years. So, so that, that's something that I think requires further work. And uh, a couple of things to add to that, um, the first of which is going, I, I appreciate well beyond the data set that you're, you're dealing with, but in general terms, can I 
get you to speculate a little on, on what these mechanisms may actually be. But also because uh, th- these podcasts tend to be listened to internationally, um, a lot of uh, listeners may not be aware of some of the social problems that are present in Glasgow in terms of of health and, and lifestyle and, and how these might fit into the picture as well. Glasgow uh, um, is one of the most socially deprived geographical areas in Europe where there are very high levels of social deprivation and high levels of pathology associated with that. Uh, and that includes, in a number of areas of, of Glasgow, uh, much reduced life expectancy, uh, particularly in males. Now, we, we try to um, take some account of that by doing our best to match for social deprivation. This is a limitation of a study of this kind is it's uh, an electronic study, so you're not actually meeting uh, the individuals and, and checking, being able to check through face-to-face with the data. It's an electronic study. But we did try to make some uh, attempt to control for that. There are some other studies in, in America and Australia which are finding similar kind of patterns, really, with elevated rates of death after head injury. And there's only one, really, that's looked at mild head injury with a, a suggestion that there might be an elevated rate of death. But I think these studies can't really separate a very easily lifestyle from other other potential factors relating to the brain injury itself. Mm-hmm. Now, you're asking about potential causes if the head injury um, actually was, was pivotal in um, affecting outcome. I think we're probably at early stages in research here, but there has, in recent times, particularly been a lot of interest in neuropathology following concussion, including after repeated concussion. And a lot of research being carried out uh, currently in the military in America and um, in contact sports where uh, there may be repeated concussion uh, uh, in players over a period of time. Uh, So I think evidence for a a neuropathological explanation in those groups is uh, beginning to grow. There's a little bit of evidence about potential for uh, the development of systemic disease, changes in cardiovascular uh, modulation following mild head injury. But I think this this um, research is also at, at an early stage. So I, I think it's probably too early to be too definite about cause and effect here. Uh, and I suppose my view is that we should simply be looking at the effect and thinking um, what we should be doing about this now and being very careful not to raise alarm bells in, in, in individuals, given that we know that there's an association between people's belief about the effects of head injury and the ways that that can affect their outcome negatively. And finally, to, to close off, in, the, what, in this day and age, is a highly unlikely event that your director of public health takes note of this and offers you a blank check to do what you can to sort the problem out now on the basis of current knowledge. What what would you like to see done if you were offered a blank check? Well, I think in terms of public health, even quite simply modifying um, information given to people when they're admitted with a head injury, uh, which might conservatively indicate that there are a number of lifestyle factors which are associated with head injury, which potentially can lead to longer-term consequences. 
and giving people perhaps links to get further information about that and perhaps some a, a bit of a greater focus when people attend the emergency room on this kind of explanation being given to them by staff in terms of lifestyle factors, which often can involve um, alcohol binging or, or chronic alcohol abuse and the potential for a, a negative long-term outcome. Excellent. Would you like to see anything more in the way of automatically screening all such patients for alcohol disorders or having embedded alcohol service outreach contacts linked to accident and emergencies, or, or do you think that would be overkill given the, the, the sort of strength of the association? Well, well I think, you know, we're, we're now in a, in, in a situation where in the emergency department there should be potential for people to be able to check uh, an individual's background and perhaps to be, to be selecting out individuals who are having uh, repeated head injuries maybe repeated mild head injuries and, and being able to f- to perhaps offer them some form of additional service because they're probably the ones that are going to be at greatest risks. Certainly it's a risk factor for for mortality in this study, having repeated head injuries. You know, in the emergency room, if one had a, a blank check and could, they, could they, uh, uh, perhaps extend the staffing, they could begin to look into those who are more at risk in a bit more detail and, be, and as you say, then be linking them to other relevant services, be they brain injury, uh, alcohol, and so on. Yeah, and I suppose things like flagging the multiple repeat attenders is something that can be done on very little budget right away, really. Uh, yes. Which yeah. is, is an important message. Well, Tom, it's a fascinating piece of work. The whole study has really contributed greatly to our knowledge of the outcomes of head injury. We're very glad that you've published a lot of it in the JNNP, and thanks very much for taking the time to uh, speak to us today. Thanks very much for the opportunity. 